What is going on, sports fans, and welcome. Season 5, episode 15 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. Been about three weeks since an episode. I apologize for the break. A lot of personal stuff going on. Um, took a couple vacations. Got to go home, back to Ohio. Went to St. Louis. So I've been busy with that, plus work. Didn't really have time to record, but I'm here sitting down recording on the Tuesday of the MLB All-Star break. So not a lot going on in the sports world, so I thought it'd be a good time to catch back up with the listeners, give you guys another episode talking about everything happening in sports. Haven't talked about NBA free agency and all the moves that have been made in the offseason. I'll tell you, we'll go team by team, go move by move, talk about moves I like, moves I don't like, moves that didn't make sense to me, and who I think got better, who I think got worse, and maybe give you an updated favorite team so far this offseason, and also a favorite team I have to challenge Denver next season for the NBA title. We'll also talk about the NBA draft, give some grades for the first and second rounds of the draft, which teams I think got better through the draft. Talk a little Victor Wembenyama and Britney Spears. <laughs> um, what else we got? Um, Chiefs Aholic gets arrested. The Chiefs superfan gets arrested by the gets arrested by the FBI in Kansas City. Talk a little bit about that. And of course, the MLB, the All Star break, the trade deadline just twenty days away, so about three weeks from the trade deadline. A lot to get to on this week's show, and thank you guys for joining us. Today is Tuesday, 7-11, July 11th. Let's go. And welcome in to Season 5, Episode 15 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. However you may be listening, wherever you may be listening on this beautiful Tuesday, I want to thank you for joining us on Jack of All Trades Sports. I'm your host with the most too sweet to be sour at the top of the hour, about the 5 o'clock hour here on the East Coast on Tuesday, 7-11, July 11th. It's your man, Jack Bernie, back with another episode. We, Like I said, we took a couple weeks off, but we were back and... You know, it's the MLB All-Star break, which means it's about halfway through the MLB season. we got the Summer League going on in the NBA. Still a slow time in the sports calendar, but once you hit August, college football starts feeling closer. The NFL preseason starts. I think we're 24 days away from the NFL preseason starting with the Browns and the Jets in the Hall of Fame game in Canton. So... Yes, and to all my sports fans out there, including me, who who is a sports fan, a sports media guy, a TV guy, a podcast guy, all that, I do all the sports media stuff, 
enjoy your summer because, you know, it's going to get crazy back with sports. And I know we love that time, but also, you know, take the time to enjoy the summer, spend some time with your family and friends, go on vacation, go golfing, whatever you guys love to do. But the summer does mean one thing, NBA free agency, the NBA free agency period, a bunch of trades, and um, we're going to go ahead and go team by team right now and talk about the off seasons of each team thus far. The Cleveland Cavaliers had a busy one, but we're going to start. So basically, we're going to go alphabetical order, starting with the Atlanta Hawks. Hawks haven't had a busy off season. Um, you know, I'm interested to see what the Hawks' long term plan is. Is I'm going to take a quick swig of Powerade here before we really get into the nitty gritty talking about all 30 teams. No free ads though. This podcast is not sponsored by Powerade, but still a very good sports drink. All right, let's go. So. <laughs> The Atlanta Hawks haven't had a busy offseason. I'm interested to see what their long-term plan is because you look at what they did this past year. They win the play-in against the Heat, who the Heat made it to the finals. Uh, but they win that play-in game against the Heat. They get a first-round series against Boston. They win two games, uh, and they were kind of competitive in that sixth game. So you could make an argument they were a couple plays away from getting it to from winning a playoff series. But... I don't know what they view the future of Trey Young in that organization as. I think some people think they should move on with, from Trey Young. Some people don't. Um, the big move that the Hawks have made this far in the offseason is re-signing DeJounte Murray to a four-year um, extension. DeJounte Murray, of course, an all-star with the Spurs. A very good player. Um, they tried to pair him and ja, uh, uh, not ja, Trey Young together. And I don't really know... If the, the two guards there are going to work for the long-term future of the Hawks. So I'm very interested to see where they go. The only other move they made was trading for Rudy Gay, which, you know, doesn't really move me that much as an offseason move. Boston Celtics are an interesting team because they made it to the finals two years ago. This past season, they lose in seven in the Eastern Conference Finals, but they were down 3-0 to an eight seed. But then they came back and they were, like I said, a game away from making back-to-back finals appearances. They're going to have to make a decision on Tatum and Brown. They're going to sign Tatum to a max. They're going to. They're going to have to make a decision on Brown if cuz Brown's eligible for the Supermax since he got um since he got all uh third team all NBA. So I'm interested to see what they're doing there. I would lean towards them keeping Jalen Brown unless they can get like a Damian Lillard type piece in a trade and we'll talk about Dame in a minute. But the big move that the um the Celtics made this offseason was acquiring Kristaps Porzingis and signing him signing him to an extension. So Kristaps Porzingis, obviously former New York Knicks, former Wizard, they just got they the Celtics received Kristaps Porzingis uh, and a couple first round picks. They trade Marcus Smart, who was like one of the heart and souls of their team for the last you know five six years to the Grizzlies. And then the Wizards get some nice pieces. Tyus Jones, Danilo Gallinari, Mike Muscala, and a second-round pick. But they're going all in with Kristaps Porzingis. They're paying him a lot of money. They um, they get him and they extend him. Interesting move to me because, you know, with the new the new CBA, I think I talked about it a couple weeks ago on the show, you can, can really only afford to pay two players, like, top-end money, like Matt's money. And... The Celtics are paying three guys that if they keep Brown, which I think I would say that I would lean towards them keeping Jalen Brown. But, like, I don't know because they they committed to Chris Stops and they've committed to Tatum. So 
It'll be interesting to see where they go. But I like the Kristaps trade. I think, you know, he had his best season, I think, Kristaps Porzingis did with the Wizards last season. He actually stayed healthy. He played, like, over 60 or 70 games, which when's the last time that happened? We've always known he was a good player. I'm not sure what happened in Dallas with Kristaps because when the the Mavs traded for him, I thought him and Luka were going to be a great pair. And they just weren't. So... But I think it's a good fit for the Celtics getting Kristaps Porzingis because they didn't didn't really have a a big man who could you know change the game offensively and stretch the floor. Like Al Horford isn't that guy anymore, so now they have a guy who can do that. The Nets uh, they get Cam Johnson back on a four year deal. That was the really only move of note. We're not going to spend too much time on the Nets. The Hornets uh, Miles Bridges signs a one year deal to come back. Lamelo Ball gets a supermax, which. I don't know if I would have given LaMelo Ball a supermax just yet, but the Hornets do. I'm interested to see what they do. I don't I don't like what they did in the draft. We're going to get to that after we go team by team for free agency. Chicago Bulls, they agree to a three-year deal with Javon Carter, Torrey Craig, and they get Kobe White back. Uh, doesn't move the needle for me much there. Let's talk about the Cavs uh, because I do have some thoughts on the Cavs. Cavs had a busy free agency period. Um a lot of people were interested to see what they were going to do. There were even some blasphemous rumors that uh, they would be open to shopping Darius Garland, which made no sense to me. But the Cavs were in an interesting spot because they believe in this core four or a key three, depending on who you ask, of Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, and Jarrett Allen. Those are like the four players the Cavs want to build around. But you saw in the playoff series against the Knicks a lack of depth and a lack of, you know, veteran presence off the bench kind of hurt the Cavs because the Knicks were just bringing in, you know, like Obi Toppin had a great series. You know, they had Josh Hart off the bench who was killing the Cavs. You know, that was something the Cavs were needing a lot of, and they need a lot of shooting as well. That was something that they lacked because Evan Mobley and Jarrett Allen and whoever the Cavs would start at the three, sometimes Isaac Okoro, sometimes Chetty Osman, um, didn't really shoot the ball particularly well. Um, especially from the outside, you need that to compete in today's game. And the Cavs address both of those needs. They, they got some depth and they got some veteran shooting and veteran leadership. The biggest move the Cavs made was signing Max Struess via a sign-and-trade. They get Max Struess from the Miami Heat um, for four years, $64 million. Um, Max Struess made Almost 200 threes last year. He averaged career high in points, rebounds, assists, and steals. He also started in all 23 of the playoff games during the Heat's run to the finals. He's a great shooter. Um, He averaged about 12 points. I think he'll probably start for the Cavs next season. And uh, the Cavs do get rid of Chetty Osman and Lamar Stevens in that three-team deal to land Max Strews. But I like the Strews signing. He's a good shooter. Um... They can plug him in at the three, I think, and he'll he's going to play some big minutes. And he is a guy that can win you a game sometimes with his shooting, and the Cavs needed a guy like that. Another guy the Cavs got is uh, Georges Niang from the Sixers, who's previously with the Jazz. Uh, so he has uh, chemistry with Donovan Mitchell because they played together in Utah. Um, Niang's also another good shooter off the bench. He um, agrees to a three-year deal with the Cavs. So they get George Gorgeous Niang um, and Max Struess. They also re-signed Karis LeVert, which a lot of people were kind of 
iffy on Levert coming back to the Cavs, but they signed him for two years at $32 million. Um, so it's not bad. I mean, because they're paying him less than they did last season. Levert averaged 12 points a game off the bench last year. Um, he shot four, about 40% from three, uh, grabbed about four rebounds, four assists. Uh, so he's going to be – him and Niang are two veteran guards off the bench. Niang um, – Obviously, like I said, played with uh, Donovan Mitchell. He's 30 years old. He has great playoff experience. He played. He's played in 46 playoff games. So those are two things that the Cavs needed. They they lacked that experience. Then they get Damian Jones in a trade with the with the uh, the Jazz. He's a big man. Um, he averaged about three and a half points last year, but he's six eleven. So maybe he can come off the bench behind Jared Allen. You would think. And then they got Damian uh, Ty Jerome, excuse me, who I believe is a former pacer, but they signed him to a two-year deal, and he is another guy that they expect to play a role off the bench. Ty Jerome, uh, he was a first-round pick uh, back in 2019, played for the Warriors in the Thunder, so Ty Jerome is on the Cavs as well. I think the Cavs had a solid offseason. Um, there are some people who wanted them to take some bigger swings, but I think... At the end of the day, the Cavs addressed the needs that they needed, and I think they got better. Will it be enough to keep Donovan Mitchell in Cleveland long-term is the biggest question there. All right, to the Dallas Mavericks. Their biggest move, well, they got a couple. I forgot to mention the Celtics did trade Grant Williams to the uh, – Dallas Mavericks in a sign-and-trade. So the uh, Mavericks get Grant Williams. Uh, the Mavericks also re-signed Kyrie Irving on a three-year, $126 million deal. Uh, this deal confused me, not because I don't think Kyrie's good. I, I, I mean, I'm a little bit, you know, Kyrie, the off-the-court antics, you know, it doesn't seem like he's been great in the locker room since he left Cleveland. But on the court, Kyrie still has proven that he's a top 30 guy in the league. So, I mean, I get why Mark Cuban, especially after all they gave up to get him, a couple firsts, um, and it was, a, you know, Luke, they need to keep Luca happy because they need Luca to stay and not request a trade because this is another thing. I'm getting on a soapbox here a little bit, and I promise we'll go faster through these teams. Um, the NBA is kind of like college basketball and football now in that it's kind of a transfer portal era, and we still have to talk about Damian Lillard, but... When players aren't happy, they just request a trade, and you don't see because that oh trade me or I'm gonna sit out. You see that a lot, and a lot of the times the GMs and the president of basketball operations around the league just trade the player because they don't want to deal with the headache. So I mean, the Mavericks wanted to avoid that with Luca. They didn't want Luca to get to that point. So they get Kyrie back on a three-year, $126 million deal. The thing that confused me about the deal was the length because I didn't think anybody would give Kyrie a deal past two years and the money because I don't think anybody would be competing with Kyrie, uh, competing with the Mavericks, excuse me, to sign Kyrie to that money, $126 million, which is very confusing to me. They also get Dante Exum, Seth Curry, Rashawn Holmes, and they get Dwight Powell back on a three-year deal. Not a bad offseason for the Mavericks, but they need to start winning sooner or else Luka's going to be unhappy. The Nuggets haven't done much. They get DeAndre Jordan back on a multi-year deal. Uh, that's pretty much the uh, the best 
they did there. The Pistons didn't do much except they extend Isaiah Stewart and trade for Joe Harris from the Nets. The Warriors, they get Draymond Green back on a four-year, $100 million deal. So Draymond, Clay, and Steph stay together. Good for them. I kind of like it when, uh, when you know, teams continue to keep the three same, th- same three or four guys together no matter what. So that, that's what the Warriors are doing here. Then they get Chris Paul. They get rid of Jordan Poole, and they tr- get Chris Paul from the the Wizards because um, the Wizards traded Chris uh, traded for Chris Paul in the Bradley Beal trade with the Suns. So Chris Paul is going to be a backup point guard to Steph. Um, veteran leadership. I mean, I think Jordan Poole, despite how bad he was in the playoffs, probably still has way more value than Chris Paul. So I actually like the move for the Wizards because Chris Paul's 38. So I don't really know what that was about. I just think that they think... Jordan Poole isn't as good as the contract, which, okay, I think that's fair, but I think you still got to play him because you already did pay him. After the outstanding playoff run he had in 2022, didn't have as great a playoff run in 2023, but I still think there's some value there. So I'm not sure why the Warriors make that deal for Chris Paul, but they do extend Draymond. The team that I think has had the most confusing offseason to me is the Houston Rockets. Uh, They're paying Fred Van Fleet three years, $130 million deals. And they're paying Dylan Brooks four years, $80 million. So they're paying like $250 million, or not $250 million, $210 million combined for Dylan Brooks and Fred Van Fleet, which I'm sorry. I mean, the Rockets, you know, they get Ime Odoka, who's a good coach. They have a young, talented roster, but I'm sorry. That does not make you a contender in the West. You're paying too much money to two guys who I don't think are, you know, star-level players. Like, I'm sorry, Fred Van Fleet... He was an all-star. He was an NBA champion in Toronto. He's not worth $130 million. He's not worth the same contract that Kyrie got, in my opinion. Uh, the Pacers, they get Bruce Brown on a two-year $45 million deal. Um, like it. I think he fills a need for Indiana. Veteran presence with a very young team. I really like what the Pacers, Pacers have done so far. They trade for Obi Toppin from the Knicks. Obi Toppin joins the Pacers. For two second-round picks, Obi Toppin's a great bench piece, can mentor some of those young guys like Jairus Walker, who the Pacers drafted at with the eighth pick out of Houston. And then they extend one of my favorite players in the league, one of the best young players, I think, in the league. Tyrese Halliburton gets the Supermax. And I think the Pacers might be a playoff team next year if Halliburton can stay healthy. They were a borderline playoff team last year when Halliburton was in the lineup. And I think they only got better adding Bruce Brown and Obi Toppin as well. Clippers have been quiet. They do get Russell Westbrook back on a two-year deal. The Lakers have had one of my favorite off-seasons. They bring back Rui Hachimura, Austin Reeves, and D'Angelo Russell. They get some good depth with Jackson Hayes, Terrian Prince, and Cam Reddish. And then they get Gabe Vincent from the Heat, who had an outstanding Eastern Conference Finals. So the Lakers, you know, who were a top-four team at the end of last year, who made the West Finals who are getting LeBron back in year 21, who's still playing at a high level, who are getting AD back, and if he can stay healthy for a full year, who knows how good the Lakers are going to be. I think they're probably the biggest challengers to Denver in the West, and I really like the money they got for Austin Reeves. I thought Austin Reeves could have got four years, like 80 million somewhere. Like He was a 20-point-per-game guy in the playoffs, and the Lakers get him for four-year 56. That's great money for the Lakers. I really like what they've done. They've kind of reloaded and they're, you know, they're, they've added some talent with like Gabe Vincent and I like what the Lakers are doing. The Grizzlies, uh, they get extend Desmond Bain on a max contract, which didn't really make sense to me. I didn't think Desmond Bain was a, uh, was a, um, 
a max guy. Five years, two hundred eight million for Desmond Bain. I mean, good for him. I just didn't think he was a he was a um, a max guy. And then the other move was they get Marcus Smart in that Kristaps Porzingis deal. Heat have been very quiet. It seems like they're pushing all their chips towards Dame. They do get Thomas Bryant on a two-year deal and Josh Richardson on a two-year deal. They also bring back Kevin Love. The Bucks get Brooke Lopez back and Chris Middleton back. Those were their two biggest needs. So they're bringing back that core that was the one seed in the East last year before losing to Miami. Um, and hopefully that's enough to keep Giannis happy. Uh, the Timberwolves give Anthony Edwards a max. I like giving Anthony Edwards a max. He's one of my favorite young players in the league. The Pelicans didn't do much at all, so I'm not even going to talk about them. The Knicks just got Dante DiVincenzo from the Warriors. That's pretty much it. Thunder didn't do much. The Magic didn't do much. The Sixers didn't do much either. The Suns have done a lot. We already talked about the Bradley Beal deal. Uh, I really like the Eric Gordon signing for the uh, the Suns too. That's a good guy who can come in and give you points in a playoff series, which they were missing last year. Um, so, I mean, the Suns added a lot of talent. They get Josh Okogie back, um, Eric Gordon, Damian Lee. You know, they got better. The Suns got better. And with Durant, Beal, and Booker, they should be right in the conversation next year. That brings us to the Trailblazers. Um, they get Matisse Stiebel and Jeremy Grant back. I think they paid a little bit too much for Jeremy Grant. They get him on a five-year, $160 million deal. But the big news for the Blazers is Damian Lillard officially requests a trade out of Portland after, what, he's been there since 2012, so 11 years in Portland. Dame time is over, it seems like. He requests a trade to a contender. Uh, reports say that he wants to play for the Miami Heat, and that's where he wants to be traded and accept a trade from. But the Heat really don't have many assets. So I've been listening to a lot of Bill Simmons talk about Damian Lillard. Um on my drive, I listened to him on my drive back uh, to uh, Terre Haute from uh, good old Strongsville, Ohio, and um, he was saying, um, he was talking about the transfer portal thing that I was mentioning earlier. How players get unhappy and they just want to transfer, request a trade. Okay, well, Dame signed his extension, and now he wants to be traded, but I don't think it makes sense for the Blazers to trade him right now. I just don't, you know. Um, I really love the Blazers getting Scoot Henderson in the draft. I think the Blazers do need to trade him because I think Scoot Henderson is going to be a star in the NBA. And uh, they need to get him playing the minutes that Dame is playing as soon as possible because Scoot played like five minutes in the summer league the other night before he got hurt. But he has that it factor that you look for in an NBA star. And, I mean, I think Scoot Henderson is going to be the second best player uh, behind Weminyama in this draft class, which is why I'm so confused why the Hornets took Brandon Miller over him. But um, back to Dame. What what Bill Simmons was saying on his podcast was, why would the Blazers just do Dame a solid? There's a lot of people out there saying, oh, you know, Dame's the best player in Portland's franchise history. They need to do him a favor and just trade him to the Heat. This is going to be the biggest trade of this GM's life. Damian Lillard's a top 10 player in the league. When he's healthy, um, and he makes anybody who you trade him to a championship contender, you're gonna have to get a haul back. And I think there are better packages out there than oh, we'll give you a Damon Yusip Nurkic's contract for Tyler Hero, Kyle Lowry, and what you know, a couple picks. No, 
You could get way better from a lot of other teams, like the Sixers. If you could get Tyrese Maxey from Philly, why wouldn't the why would why wouldn't the Blazers do that instead? I don't know. I think it makes more sense for Portland potentially to wait until like December to trade Dame. Sit him down and be like, look, we're gonna trade you. We want to see what else happens. We want to see what injuries happen. We want to see if teams get desperate. We want to see which teams are in it, which teams think that this is their window, which teams have better assets after seeing some some of these young guys play a couple months. So we're going to trade you by Christmas. You know, I mean, I think that is, I don't think Portland needs to rush on this because I think GMs so many times don't do what's, they do what's best for the, the guy leaving instead of doing what's best for the organization. And I would like to see the Portland GM change that. That's my opinion on the whole Damian Lillard thing. The Kings haven't done much. They get DeMontis Sabonis back on an extension. Um, The Spurs, they get Chetty Osman and Lamar Stevens from the Cavs. Chetty will miss you. Um, And then other notable moves, Kyle Kuzma back to the Wizards and Jordan Poole acquired by the Wizards. All right, that is NBA free agency. We're going to talk about the draft. Then we're going to go to break, come back with baseball. And all that good stuff. All right, let's talk about the NBA draft. The NBA draft happened a couple of weeks ago. We're gonna go. We're gonna give some draft grades um, to some of these some of these picks, which there are some interesting picks. I believe we're looking at the first round right now. We're all fifty eight picks of the draft. The Spurs, we'll start with the Spurs because they got, we're going to give the Spurs an A for their draft because they got Victor Weminyama. They had the easiest job. All they had to do was submit a card for Victor Weminyama. Uh, a lot of people think he's the highest upside prospect to enter the NBA since LeBron. Um, he's a historic prospect and Weminyama is going to make them contenders in the next couple of years. They got the centerpiece of their rebuild that's the most important thing a team can do. So I'm going to give the Spurs an A+. We're going to talk about Wembenyama and Britney Spears really quick before we get to my other A drafts that I thought were my favorite drafts that I saw. Um, so Wembenyama's been in the United States for about two weeks. He got drafted about two weeks ago. He's been here about two weeks. He played in two summer league games. But before he played in the summer league games, there was a video that came out from TMZ. Well, first the headline came out that a member of Victor Wembenyama's team security team hit Britney Spears in the face on face value. It sounds like one of Victor Wembenyama's security guys just turned around and cold clocked Britney Spears in the face. If you watch the video, Britney kind of tries to touch him and get him for a picture or whatever. And, uh, the, uh, security guard, I think, you know, kind of put his hand back and he did hit her, but it didn't look, it was, Felt like kind of a nothing burger, and that TMZ just kind of reported it because they wanted something. But it was very funny because Wembenyama struggled a lot in his first summer league game. He only scored nine points. He was like 311 from the field. He got posterized by a Charlotte Hornets guy. And you had Britney Spears like fan accounts on Twitter watching the game. 
And uh, talking about how bad Wembenyama was, someone put, you know, Hit Me Baby One More Time by Britney Spears under the video of Wembenyama getting dunked on. So, I mean, I, you know, I think it's a good sign for Wembenyama that he's been in the, the, uh, the United States for two weeks. Welcome to America, buddy. Here's Britney Spears in a controversy for you, you know? I feel like that's the most American thing that can happen to an American athlete, you know? So, uh, I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, my other A draft, uh, there's four of them. One of them is the P- Portland Trailblazers, what I was just talking about. Um, they get Scoot Henderson to follow them at third after the Hornets took Brandon Miller. Um, now, a lot of teams in the league would, if they had Damian Lillard, they would have traded the pick to build around Dame. But the Blazers' front office was brave. They they made the right decision for their organization. Um I think Scoot Henderson is going to be the centerpiece of Portland and a freaking star in the NBA for the next decade. The 2010s were the Lillard decade for the Blazers. The 2020s will be the Scoot Henderson decade. I think Henderson was the second best player in the draft. I can't believe he fell it to three. Um, He's so fast. Um, he can pull up, he can hit floaters, he gets all the way to the rim. You know, defenders are f- afraid to get in front of him because he can play it slow, he can play it flat, fast. He's got great basketball IQ, he's explosive, um, and he sets the tone for competitiveness. I think he's going to be a multi-time all-star. He is the key. They also get Chris Murray um, from Iowa. Uh, he's going to be a rotational guy. He can knock down shots. He's big and athletic. Um, he's going to help the team in wet as well, whether Lillard is there or not. So I think that the Blazers, they, you know, they didn't give into the pressure, uh, to trade picks to help Dame and get a superstar. They believe in their process. They got a lead guard who I think can be a franchise altering guy. And they got a couple of nice pieces besides that. So I think the Blazers get a great draft grade from me. I really like the uh, the Dallas Mavericks draft as well. Um, they have the 10th pick entering the, the night. They moved down two spots to 12 and offloaded uh, Bertans, D- Davis Bertans' contract to the Thunder, which was $17 million this season. Uh, and they took this kid Lively, uh, Derek Lively, the second at 12. Um he was uh, at Duke last year. It was the end of his freshman year. I thought he was a very, very good, probably one of the best defensive players in the country. And on offense, Lively is going to be good as a rim runner in a space Dallas offense led by Luka. And then the Mavs used a trade exception um, that they took on Rashawn Holmes's contract from Sacramento. While they also get the 24th pick in that trade exception, they pick Olivier Maxence Prosper, uh, who is kind of like a Dorian Finney-Smith guy. He's an elite on-ball defender. He's 6'8", a 7'1 wingspan. He can stay in front of you on defense, on offense. He's uh, more of a limited on offense, but he's a great... um, He's going to be a catch-and-shoot 3 and D guy, and that's good for Luka Doncic on on your team. So those were my three favorite drafts on the A's with the A's. The B pluses, B's in the draft. I like the Pacers. They get Jairus Walker, Ben Shepard, Mojave King, and Isaiah Wong. They got four picks. And they used all of them. 
Um, Jairus Walker is going to fill an immediate need on the defensive end for the Pacers. Um, Walker's going to be a screen, a big screen and roll guy uh, with Halliburton. He's not a good shooter, but um, he's a great passer. He can handle the ball as a four. He can make high-level reads uh, passing-wise in the NBA, and he's uh, going to be huge on the defensive end. He's He wreaks havoc on the defensive end. Then they get Ben Shepard, who I got to see play this year against Indiana State in the Missouri Valley from Belmont. Um He's a wing player. He uh, can do it all. He can knock down shots, but he's also a sharp defender. He made the all-defense team in the MVC. Um, I like him at 26, so I like what the Pacers did as well. Let's talk about the Cavs before we take a break. Um, the Cavs picked Imani Bates, who is one of the most interesting picks of the draft because, you know, where they picked him, they picked him at the 49th pick, I believe, which... Um, is Amani Bates. So you guys know the name Amani Bates. They picked him with the 49th pick. Um, everyone knows Amani Bates' names. He was anointed a future number one overall pick as a freshman in high school on the cover of Sports Illustrated. He's 6'9", but he's only 180 pounds. Uh, he doesn't have much length. Uh, he's a good shooter and a good shot creator, though. And he has a lot of potential. Um... The Cavs give him a two-way, so he's going to have a chance to develop in the G League as well. So I think it's a low-risk, high-reward move for the Cavs, especially where they got him at 49th overall. So those are my thoughts on what's gone down in the NBA offseason so far. My favorite offseasons, uh, the Lakers, the Pacers, and the Cavs are my three favorite offseason. The biggest challenger in the West to the Nuggets, I think, is the Los Angeles Lakers. The East is kind of wide open. I'm interested to see who's going to be Coming out of the East next year, I think it really is going to have a lot to do with Damian Lillard, where Damian Lillard, Damian Lillard ends up. If it's Miami, if it's Philly, if it's Boston, if it's in the East at all, we'll see what happens there. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, MLB landscape at the All-Star break, maybe a little bit of a trade deadline preview. Are the Guardians still going to trade Shane Bieber, even though they find themselves in first place? We're also going to talk... Some Chiefsaholic getting arrested, uh, Chief Superfan in the NFL, and uh, a little more as well. Maybe touch on Northwestern football and all that stuff going on. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with all that and more after this.
What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Season 5, Episode 15 of the Jack of All Trades Sports Podcast. If you like that song, it's Electric Touch, Taylor's version featuring Fallout Boy from The Vault. Uh, Taylor Swift releasing Speak Now, Taylor's version on Friday night. Um, and, you know, if you're, I'm a, I would call myself a casual Taylor Swift fan. But uh, she's got some bangers on that album, and uh, I would recommend all my listeners to give it a listen. But that's one of my favorite songs from it, uh, Fall Out Boy, Taylor Swift, Electric Touch. Just wanted to give you guys some music before we dive into part two in the MLB season. And uh, I prepared for this episode a little bit differently than I normally do. Instead of, um, you know, kind of just taking a look at the standings, starting with the Guardians, I'm going to go, I wrote down all 30 teams. And uh, I picked, uh, put them in power rankings uh, at the All Star break. So we are officially at the All Star break. The All Star break is happening to, or the All Star break is currently happening. The All Star game happening tonight in Seattle at I believe eight o'clock Eastern time on Fox, and um, we are just under three weeks away from the um, MLB trade deadline. So a lot of teams. Use the all-star break to kind of examine where they are at mid-season. And that's exactly what we did with our power rankings. So let's start with the power rankings. The number one team in baseball, I think it is no contest. I got to see them play in person in Cleveland last week. It's the Atlanta Braves. The Braves are 58-28. and 20, um, In a 27-game stretch that began June 2nd, the Braves batted over 300 as a team. They averaged two and a half home runs and seven runs per game. And their team's slugging percentage was 577. Only three individual players in that same time frame have a higher slugging percentage during the season than the Braves did as a team. And that's Shohei Otani and Ronald Acuna and uh, Luis Robert of the White Sox. The Braves have all kinds of power. They have good starting pitching. You know, Matt Olson, um, Ronald Acuna Jr., who's going to be the MVP, Sean Murphy... Their whole starting infield is is on the All-Star team. They are just one of the best teams I've seen at the All-Star break in the last 5-10 years. And I think they're the clear favorite not only to win the National League, but to win the World Series. Number two, I got to go based off the, the record. I'm going to go with the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, they started off 13-0, um, but they've struggled a little, little bit as of late. They're 57-32. Um, I think the Rays needed this all-star break because they weren't playing their best baseball. You know, they have good starting pitching, but Shane McClanahan's on the IL, so that's going to be a little bit of a loss for them. Um, they lose, they lost the series opener last week against the Phillies and, um, it dropped Bill James, you know, Bill James, the book of baseball, um, the Moneyball guy, he does this thing called a temperature metric. And uh, I saw this on ESPN. Um, Tampa Bay's um, – so basically a temperature metric is the higher your temperature metric is, the better you are as a team, according to Bill James. So Tampa Bay's temperature metric dropped down to a season-low 65.2 degrees when they lost that series opener against Philly. And in comparison, it was 126.6 degrees when the Rays were 13-0. and So – They've been struggling a little bit as of late, but they still have a huge lead in the East, so I'm going to keep them at two. Three, I got the Texas Rangers. Um, they were playing amazing. They did lose to Grom for the season, but they did hit a little bit of a speed bump in their season. 
when they lose th- th- they lost three out of four to the Astros. Um, Nathan Eovaldi's been really good for them. You know, Marcus Simeon's had a bounce back year. Corey Seager's been one of the best players in baseball. So the Rangers, I think they need to make a couple moves at the deadline, specifically with pitching, if they want to get back into, you know, the good graces and the and being one of the best teams in the AL. But 51-36, they're leading the AL West. They're still my number three team. Number four, I got the Astros. Um, they're coming off, I think, their best week of the season so far. They were just five games over 500 in June, and they were six and a half games back behind Texas. Uh, they take three out of four against Texas. Now they're 49-38, 11 games under 500. They got to manage injuries and workload uh, between this time period and the trade deadline. You know, Jose Altuve has had some oblique discomfort, um, which is something you don't want to push away and ignore since he's 33. Jordan Alvarez is said to be beginning his rehab assignment soon, might even do it on the All-Star break. Um, so they need Altuve and Jordan Alvarez back at full strength before I can see them overtaking Texas in the uh, AL West. Five, I got the Dodgers, even though they're in second place. Um, they did get a big loss recently with Dustin May. Um who is going to be undergoing surgery with a flexor tendon in his right elbow. Uh, Clayton Kershaw is also on the injured list. Um, Tony Gosselin's uh, velocity has dropped. Julio Arias has been up and down. Walker Buehler's recovering from Tommy John. The Dodgers are going to be in aggressive pursuit trying to trade for a starting pitcher because of all those things I just said. I still think they're the fifth best team in the league. They have one of the best lineups. You know, Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman. But they got to figure out their pitching because without Kershaw, without Dustin May, who's gone, without Walker Bueller, who's gone, they don't really have much. Five, uh, for the sixth team in the, the best, the sixth best team in baseball, I have the Arizona Diamondbacks, the surprise team of the year. They're 50 and 37, leading the National League West. Corbin Carroll's been fantastic. Uh, Zach Gallen might be the, uh, the, the front runner for National League Cy Young Award. They've had great seasons from Christian Walker and Geraldo Perdoma, along with Lourdes Gurriel. Uh, the D-backs are still in first place, and they're really good, and they're really deep, especially on the position player side. So that's why I like this young Diamondbacks team. Seven, I got the Orioles. Um... So I'm the Orioles have had a tough schedule, you know, playing the Blue Jays, the Rays, the Reds, the Twins, the Yankees, the Twins, the Marlins, the Dodgers, the Rays, the Phillies, the Yankees, the Blue Jays, the Mets, the Astros, the Mariners, and the Padres. So those are series that the, the Orioles have had to play or will play between mid-June and mid-August. So that's kind of why the Orioles have kind of dipped back to earth. They're still 15 games above 500. Um the remedy for the Orioles thus far this season has been to just keep getting younger. They've called up they called up Colton Cowser. Uh they called up Jordan Westberg. Um The Orioles are, you know, trying to win the present, but their future is take taking shape and it looks pretty bright. Eight, I got the um eight, I got the Miami Marlins. Um the Marlins are fifty one and thirty seven. They are I'm surprised they're this good without with Sandy Alcantara be having an up and down season. He won the NL Cy Young Award. He now ranks 57th out of 63 MLB pitchers in ERA. And in his last 17 starts, the Marlins are 7-10. Uh, he hasn't been very good at all. 
Um, he participated in the WBC, so uh, their manager, Skip Schumacher, thinks that that's why. But, you know, the Marlins have been one of the most surprising teams in baseball, and they have one of the best records in the National League. So I got them at eight. Nine, I guess I still got to go with the Yankees. Um, they're playing their best baseball right now this season, I think, without Aaron Judge. Um, the Yankees outscored the A's 22-6 to in that series. Um, and they had two wins. Big wins this week against the Orioles. So, um, and they're getting a lot better balance offensively. So I got the Yankees at nine. And then at 10, I got the San Francisco Giants, who are 47 and 40. Um, they've gotten a really big, um, really big contribution from their catcher, Patrick Bailey, who's filled that massive sized hole that Buster Posey left. When he retired, uh, the twenty twenty he was the twenty twenty first round pick. He's hit three oh two in his first thirty seven games. Um, the Giants were twenty and twenty three when he made his debut, and they're twenty seven and seventeen cents. Then the other teams on the outside looking in of the top ten, I got the the uh, the Blue Jays. Um, they're in the wild card race. Um, will Alec Manoa continue to pitch well? He pitched well in his first game out of the. Uh, out of the whatever league he was in, he has been having a horrible season, but he pitched well in his first start back in the league. If he can be good, then they're going to be a whole different team. So I would say the Blue Jays, the Phillies are 46-39. and 39. They're not going to win the NL East because of the Braves and the Marlins, but if they can get in, they showed last year how dangerous the team can be that just gets into the dance in the wild card. Aaron Nola's back to pitching well. Nick Castellanos having one of his best offensive seasons. What they really need is Bryce Harper to, um, you know, get back his power threat. He's having a good year. His OPS plus is 123, but he only has three homers this year and about 240 plate appearances. So the Phillies need him to get back to mashing. Then one of my favorite teams this year, one of my, the most exciting teams, I think, is the Reds. They're probably the most entertaining team in baseball with since they brought up uh, Ellie De La Cruz. He's a human highlight reel. Uh, he stole home the other night. That was awesome. Um, they need to get some pitching at the deadline, and I think they're going to win the Central if they do that. So they would be on my outside looking in. All right, let's talk about the Guardians. Uh, the Guardians right now sit at 45 and 45. They are first place in the AL Central. Um, so let's run through the standings real quick. So the Rays are 58 and 35. They're ahead of the AL East. They're ahead of the Orioles by two games. The Orioles 54 and 35 won four straight games since being 50 and 35. I have my records wrong. I don't know what I was looking at. I think I was looking at, um, I think I made these power rankings last week thinking I was going to record. Yeah, that's definitely what happened. I didn't update the the records in these power rankings. I did the power rankings last week thinking I was going to record last week, kept the same power rankings, but didn't update them for the weekend series that happened. Um, so that's my fault. So, But those are, those are still my power rankings as of right now in the top 10. So, And top 15 or so I listed. But the Rays, they're top of the AL East. Only by two games over the Orioles, though. They're 58 and 35. The Orioles are 54 and 35. The Blue Jays have won six out of their last seven. They are 50 and 41 ahead of the Yankees, who are 49 and 42. And the Red Sox are just one game back of the Yankees at 48 and 43. So that's the AL East. The AL Central, the Guardians lead the Twins by a half game. 
those are really the only two teams I think have a legitimate shot in AL Central. But the Guardians, they've been playing better as of late. They're six and ten their last ten games. Um, they've been getting great pitching, notably from the young guys. And Aaron Savali. Aaron Savali has been outstanding for the Guardians this season. I did not see it coming. Um, people forget he wasn't very healthy last year. He was dealing with that oblique thing. He got fully healthy this offseason. He's been one of the best pitchers for the Guardians this year. He's been outstanding. But him, Savali's been great. Tanner Bybee's been outstanding. Gavin Williams has been good since they called him up. Logan Allen back in AAA. Um, Tristan McKenzie on the injured list. Doesn't look like he'll be back anytime soon. Which brings me to, like, do the Guardians still want to trade Shane Bieber at the deadline? I went on this show. I've gone back and forth on it on this show. Saying the Guardians should trade Shane Bieber. Saying the Guardians shouldn't trade Shane Bieber. I don't know if they should because I think the Twins are doing everything they can possibly do to hand you this division. I think this division is there for the taking if the Guardians can just play like I think they're capable of playing. Since June, the Guardians have been much, much better. They had a bad April. They had a dreadful May. But since in June and July so far, they've been okay. They even beat the Braves. They didn't get swept by the Braves, which a lot of teams have recently. Um, but they got to take advantage of playing in the weak division. They can't lose games against the Royals, White Sox, and Tigers. They, they can't afford to lose more than five games combined against those teams this year. I don't know how many games they have left against them, but... I don't know, the Guardians, they just need to figure out what they're doing because they're getting good offense. Jose Ramirez is having one of, another one of his best years. Um, Josh Naylor is legitimately turned himself into an all-star and one of the best first basemen, not just in the American League, but in all of baseball. Um, Andre Semenez is starting to hit the ball a little more. Quan is always going to be consistent. Um, so they're getting a little bit better on offense. They've gotten the starting pitching, like I said, Class A has been up and down this year, but still saves a lot of games, still throws hard. Um, and the bullpen as a whole, if you look at the numbers, has still been really good. They just, the Guardians play so many close games when the bullpen isn't good. It's magnified because it's usually the difference between winning and losing. But as of right now on the Shane Bieber thing, I think I would still lean towards trading Bieber because I will take my puncher's chance with Aaron Savalli. Tanner Bybee, Logan Allen, Gavin Williams, and whoever that fifth starter may be, if you can get McKenzie back, maybe if you can get Cal Quantrill healthy, he's back on the IL, or maybe you get someone in the Bieber deal because you need to get more power hitting. You haven't been getting any power from your outfield. Quan, Will Brennan, Miles Straw probably have like a seven combined homers this year, and I think Will Brennan has five of those. Straw will never hit a home run again as far as I'm concerned. Like, you need guys who can hit for power in today's MLB. We saw it in the series against the Yankees last year. The Guardians got knocked out in. They lost because the Yankees were hitting the ball over the fence, and they weren't. And the Yankees would hit the ball over the fence when they had two or three guys on. The Guardians, when they had two or three guys on, they'd get a base hit and score one. That was the difference in some of those playoff games last year. So I think they need to get a power hitter. I don't know if they if that's going to be a power hitter who can be major league ready right now. If it can be a power power hitting prospect who's a sure thing because they need to figure it out because that's really the only thing this team is lacking. The lack of power is crazy, especially when you sign Josh Bell for the amount of money you did. And you're not getting the same power from Jose Ramirez that you thought you would. 
Um, he's still having a great year, but he only has like 12 homers at this point last year. I think he was close to 20 home runs, you know? I don't know. That's just my opinion on it. But I think it's a two-team race between the Guardians and the Twins, and I trust the Guardians more down the stretch because of Terry Francona, if I'm being completely honest with you. And despite the ups and downs of this season for the Guardians, you look at their record at the same point last year, 90 games in, they were only one game worse than, or 100 games in, excuse, wait, no, 90. 45 plus 45 is 90. Uh, I don't know why I even thought it was 100. Um, but anyway, um, 90 games in, they were 46 and 44 last year. So they're only one game worse this year off the pace than they were last year. The Angels have fallen back to earth since Mike Trout got put on the injured list. They're now below 500 at 45 and 46 in the West. That's a two-team race between the Rangers and the Astros, but I do think the Mariners could sneak back into the wild card conversation if they keep pitching and playing well like they have been the last week and a half or so. The Braves have 60 wins. They're the first team to 60 wins. They're 60-29 and 29 in the NL East. Marlins 53-39, and 39, second best record in the National League. And then the Phillies are 48-41. and 41. Two of the biggest disappointments this year, the Mets. Three of the biggest disappointments this year, the Mets, Cardinals, and Padres. All three teams made the playoffs last year. Cardinals 38 and 52. The Padres 43 and 47, eight and a half back. And the Mets 42 and 48, 18 and a half back of the Braves, a team that they led throughout the majority of last season before blowing it in like late September, but they still won 101 games. So the Braves are clearly the Braves and the Marlins and the Phillies are in contention in the East. In the Central, I think it's a two team race between the, the Reds and the Brewers for the NL Central. Uh, the Pirates have fallen back down to earth. The Cubs are kind of, I think, going to be around 500 to end the year, which is honestly a good season considering what the Cubs gave away last year, you know. And then in the West, I think it's the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks realistically that are going to be up for that. I would still lean the Dodgers towards winning that division, but the Giants are going to be in firm conversation for a playoff spot. So that's my outlook on the MLB as we are nearing the trade deadline and we are halfway we're a little more than halfway through the MLB season. 81 games is half the MLB season. We're about 90 in for most teams. But still a lot of baseball left. About half the season left. Teams making decisions where they want to be. And I'm interested to see what some of those decisions are. All right. We got two kind of more serious stories to talk about. One of them is more funny to me because it's chiefs We're going to start with the uh, Northwestern football stuff. So if you haven't heard... Pat Fitzgerald, the longtime Northwestern coach who was there for 17 years, was fired and has been relieved as his he- as head coach of the Northwestern University football team following an investigation into hazing allegations. Um, the university said there was no sufficient evidence that coaches knew about misconduct, but the president of the university, Michael Schill, said that Fitzgerald should have known. And the coolest thing about, I don't want to, call it cool but the coolest thing to me about this story is that it was the daily northwestern that broke it so it was basically student journalists who went out and saw who and talked to these former players who were you know willing to speak about this alleged hazing at northwestern um and it was student journalists who took down you know a, a hazing culture and a coach who has been one of the best head coaches in the big 10 i would say for the last 17 years and that just shows you that student journalism is very, very important. And so that's a big shout-out to the Daily Northwestern and all the talented students that work there. So, yeah, Pat Fitzgerald is out at Northwestern. 
He brought the team to 10 bowl games with, it, with five victories. In those Bulls games, was named the 2018 Big Ten Coach of the Year. He's the winningest coach in Northwestern history. Uh, sounds like Fitzgerald is going to sue Northwestern. Um, the coach said the university investigation reaffirmed what he's maintain- maintained. I had no knowledge whatsoever of any form of hazing within the Northwestern football program. Uh, the president did publish a summary of some of the findings of this investigation. He said, the president of the university, he said that 11 current or former players acknowledge that hazing has been taking place within the program. The hazing included forced participation, nudity, and sexualized acts of a degrading nature in violation of university policies. No students are known to have suffered a physical injury as a result of the hazing. Some players found the hazing to be harmful with long-term consequences, while others felt the rituals were in jest. Hazing practices were well-known within the program, but there's no credible evidence that Fitzgerald was aware of them, which is why some people are confused why Fitzgerald got fired. But I think, you know, in this day and age, if that stuff comes out about a coach, the coach is going to get fired. That's just my opinion on it. But um, my biggest takeaway is, uh, I don't know, I think I need we need to know more before we come to judgment, before we come to, you know, total conclusions about this. You know, a lot of former players were defending Pat Fitzgerald on Twitter, I mean, I think the hazing stuff that was alleged is totally wrong, but um, I don't know. Maybe maybe Fitzgerald could have just got suspended. I don't know. I think he'll probably get another shot coaching somewhere because, you know, college football is a business and he's a good coach, but um, hazing isn't good, so that's my take on it. And how about student journalism? Shout out to student journalism for breaking this story. You know, Northwestern's one of the best um, – student one of the best journalism schools in the country and i'm not sure why people thought that uh a hazing scandal would uh <laughs> would not get uncovered there by the by the best journalism school in the country all right let's end with chiefsaholic so i'll read you the headline chiefs superfan chiefsaholic arrested in california for alleged string of bank robberies and his name is Xavier Babooter He's been linked to at least six attempted or unsolved bank robberies in the Midwest, according to the Federal Bureau of Investigation. So if you don't know who Chief Saholic is, he's this grown man, super fan. You know how all these NFL teams have super fans? You know, the Browns have like um, the big dog guy. I don't really know what his name is, but um, you know who I'm talking about. Uh, they have the Bone Lady. They got Pumpkinhead, you know, those type of people. I think they're kind of strange. Um... You know, Ohio State's got Big Nut and then the the guy who wears the cowboy hat and the cape. They're all over sports, especially in the NFL. But Chief Saholic, uh, Xavier Babooter, is uh, this guy who wore a wolf suit. Like, head to toe, dressed as a wolf with Chief's clothes over the wolf suit. And he was Chief Saholic. Uh, he was arrested in California last week after allegedly perpetrating a string of robberies throughout the Midwest. Uh, he was arrested near Sacramento, California. Uh, for an alleged robbery last year in Iowa, he's been linked to six other bank robberies. Apparently, he stole more than $800,000. So he was initially arrested in Oklahoma in December. He was charged with robbing a, a credit union in Tulsa. He pled not guilty, was released on bond in February. Allegedly, he went to the Super Bowl, saw the Chiefs beat the Eagles in the Super Bowl. Then he removed his ankle monitor. And disappeared in late March. And he was on the run ever since. There were rumors that Dog the Bounty Hunter was going to get involved to find Chiefsaholic. 
Like I was sitting here going, I well, this is just me because I've only ever seen the dude in the in the freaking wolf suit. I was like, how are these you know law enforcement people not finding a grown man wearing Kansas City Chiefs gear dressed like a wolf? You know, I feel like that wouldn't be that hard to find. But um, apparently they found him. They found, they uh, they said that his cell phone was tracked to the location of the string of robberies. He purchased and later redeemed more than $100 million in chips from various casinos in, in the region in order to launder the money. Uh, Chief Saholic uh, is under arrest, and the FBI has got their guy. So I just wanted to talk about that a little bit. Uh, so the Chiefs lose one of their super fans. I wonder if it will hurt their quest to repeat as Super Bowl champions. And on that note, Let's end this week's show. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of Jack of All Trades. We'll probably be back next week, I would say, Monday or Tuesday with a with a new episode. Talking about the weekend in the MLB, uh, any other NBA news, maybe Dame Lillard news that comes out. And I think we're going to start, I don't know, I feel like we need some football in our lives or a new segment. I have a couple new segment ideas, so maybe we'll try one out next week. But uh, I appreciate you guys listening. If you like the podcast, be a friend, tell a friend. Uh, we need 100 unique listeners on Spotify within the last 60 days. You guys have been good. We, we, we've been getting a lot more listeners on this show. We're up to, I believe, our average plays per episode is within the, 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 the 15 or 20 range, which, you know, isn't huge. But, I mean, I do this podcast because I love talking about sports, and I want to talk about sports as career. And the more reps I can get talking about sports will help me be better at talking about sports as a career, you know, and, uh, so I don't, I I don't care about the views. I don't care about the listens, but you know, if we could get our ads back from Spotify for podcasters and we could get those a hundred unique listeners in the last 60 days, that'd be pretty cool. And I appreciate everybody who supports this podcast. Everybody who listens to this podcast. Thank you guys. I like doing this podcast and I'm going to continue to do it. And we've got some, some fun stuff, especially with football season right around the corner. So you can follow the podcast on Instagram at Jote Sports Pod. That's at J-O-T, Jack of All Trades, J-O-T, J-O-A-T, excuse me, J-O-A-T, Jack of All Trades, Sports Pod. Give me a follow on Twitter, at Jack Bernie TV, if you're interested in any of my TV reporting in that area of my sports reporting. Or you can follow me on my personal Twitter, at the Real J Burns. that's at the Real J B E R N Z. that's more of a, you know, off-the-cuff less professional Twitter of mine. All right. So thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back next week. Like I said, with another episode until then, hope you guys have a great week, do something nice for each other. And, uh, I'll talk to you guys on the flip side. I've been Jack Bernie signing off.